Welcome to the Deconstructing Data Podcast. I'm Jesse Lizak, CMO at BDEX, along with David Finkelstein, BDEX's co-founder and CEO. What's going on, David? Hey, Jesse. Uh, just uh, actually just got off the phone with uh, the sales team and everybody was at Programmatic IO and they're Ooh. all exhausted now. Um, so uh, it sounds like everything went really well and uh, they were quite busy. So uh, uh, yeah, I know. It's all good. Busy week for everybody. So, Awesome. Well, excited to hear what sort of new information they bring back from Programmatic I.O. It seems like they're always learning something new, especially at Programmatic I.O. Sure. Um, but, you know, today we are excited to welcome in Jim Williams, the CMO of Uptempo. Um, Jim is a seasoned professional specializing in early stage tech companies and his expertise in revenue scaling and tactical demand programs makes him invaluable. So we are lucky to bring him on to Deconstructing Data. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, David. I'm uh, delighted to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Does seasoned, seasoned mean older? I don't have as much gray as I have. So <laughs> oh. <laughs> we're really glad to have you here, Jim. Thank you so much for joining the show. Um, why don't you kick us off and tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself and your journey, how you got to where you are today uh, at Uptempo, and then a little bit about Uptempo so our listeners can uh, know what you guys do. Sure. I'm happy to do that. Um, so uh, I have been, I am seasoned, so I've been in marketing for a long time. It seems like 25 years or something like that. I've been in B2B marketing, and um, through that journey, I've mostly been at either startups or scale-ups, you know, sub hundred million dollars, all B2B, all tech. M most of my journey has been actually in marketing technology or MarTech as they like to call it. It's seen a huge explosion over the last 20 years uh, with all types of applications, tools, services, innovation happening that has totally transformed marketing. And so it's, it's been a, a very fun journey and a very eye-opening journey. And, uh, when you're when you're running marketing or doing marketing at a company that sells marketing software to marketers, it can get very myopic. You know, it's very very meta, if you will. Um, but it is uh, it's just a really really exciting space to be in. Uh, you know, marketers are super super inquisitive people, as you know. Uh, big experimenters, very agile in their approach, and uh, it just seems like. You can trace the last 20 years as like innovation after innovation after innovation as marketing moved from arts and crafts to really a function that is incredibly, incredibly data driven and, and formulaic and process oriented. So um, it's it's been fun. I spent a good chunk of my career. My, I consider my formative career years at Eloqua. I was there for seven years, the like first marketing automation um, uh, provider. My background is kind of grounded really in product marketing, but being a product marketer at a company that's squarely focused on creating the modern demand generation function, you know, taught me a lot about uh, uh, demand, how to scale it, uh, how to qualify it, how to better integrate marketing and sales and all of that. I spent some time at a company called Influitive, which a uh, very different approach. It's all about how to enable or activate advocates to help drive sales and revenue. You know, it's a uh, uh, it, it, that was for, for many years, it was like, oh, you would pull a reference in at the end of a sales cycle. Uh, and, and that's just not the way things are today. Today, it's buyers actively seek out 
opinions and recommendations from their peers. And you got to find a way to activate your best customers to try and grease those wheels. I did a little bit of time in network infrastructure and cybersecurity, which uh, a little bit of a left turn. I, I wanted to try a different market, different audience. Uh, I learned more about network protocols than I ever, ever frankly wanted to. <laughs> uh, and now I'm back at Uptempo, back in MarTech. Uh, Uptempo is uh, a company that focuses on what I call the forgotten side of the MarTech revolution. It focuses on planning, uh, financial management, work management, project management, etc. cetera. Uh, today, there's really no stack on that side of the house. It's funny, uh, over the last, you know, as I said, 15 years, marketers have done all types of things to, um, you know, to, to make the way they go to market, the way they activate their marketing, super, super sophisticated, highly trackable, scalable, process-oriented, et cetera. But, you know, running the business of marketing is still very much done on PowerPoint and spreadsheets. That's where like plans exist and that's where budgets exist. They're not connected in any way. And that's what Uptempo uh, seeks to change. We put a, a system in place that allows marketers to plan better, spend smarter and execute with confidence. You're so right. <laughs> yeah. That's really it's a real, real challenge for, you know, even the most, it's, it's a bit eye opening. And I, I think everyone realizes this when they go to the company, uh, but like some of the most sophisticated brands in the world run marketing on hundreds of spreadsheets. Excel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Excel. That is just, it, it's, they're not integrated. They're error prone. They're version control issues. They fly back and forth. It creates what we call the fog of marketing. You don't really have visibility into where you are on executing a plan or actually how much budget is actually left within a certain period of time. And it's, that makes it very challenging. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to hear about, you know, the power of marrying marketing and finance here later on. But as we build toward that, could you kick us off by talking about data governance for marketers? Um, sure, sure. Talk a little bit about that. My, uh, it's, it's, it's a great transition from the career because my career journey has been about the learning about the power of data in marketing. You know, um, you know, just as every business has effectively become a software business, marketing has become marketing operations today, right? Like, and without the data as the foundation, you're quite limited. Uh, in executing highly personalized campaigns that consumers uh, and prospects have just come to expect, right? Like you, you try and compare like your personal life, what you expect in your personal life when you go and buy a pair of shoes or you see something on TikTok or Instagram and then you go and purchase it and really highly personalized, fast, very efficient process, et cetera. Um, and then and then you go to the world of B2B marketing and it's, and it's really slow moving and it's not as personalized as you want. And maybe it's not the most creative stuff in the world. And, and, and that, that is just going through a revolution. A lot of it is powered by data, the depth of the data you have, um, how that data is structured and organized, how fresh it is, um, the governance uh, plan that you put in place, uh, you know, where you acquire the data from, the regulations around how you acquire and use that data um, it, it's all become bedrock foundational stuff for the, for the business of marketing. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier about the, you know, 
the the use of data in marketing and, and i think marketers have always used data it's just um now there's just so much data right there's so many different places that you're getting your data from and the, you know there's tools that you need to employ in order to try to manage all of that data and and make it effective and actually use it right and I don't think that's always easy, especially actually in the B2B market. Uh, I think B2C, they tend to uh, have maybe more tools available. Uh, I think that there's uh, often a challenge to get B2B marketers to use the tools that are available or to find ways to apply the tools in their use cases, uh, which can be pretty complex in, in many cases, right? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, in B2B, we're still very much, even though like, there's all these sources of data. Uh, B2B marketers are still really, really um, centered and kind of uh, chained to firmographic information. You know, it's like, uh, what, what can I learn about the company, size of the company, region, geography, um, you know, what business model they have, uh, you know, what industry it's in. Like all of that information is the primary way that you segment your campaigns. And when it comes down to actually data about people, you know, psychographic data, very little of that is actually used or used at scale on the B2B side. And that's the ongoing challenge, again, because of changing expectations by the buyer. Um, the increase in data and, and the simultaneous, right, like these two feed on one another, right? The data that's accessible by marketers and the tools, the explosion of 11,000 MarTech apps, uh, apps to pick and choose from has, has, has not led to the promised land of data-driven marketing that we all had hoped for. It, it's actually quite the opposite, that marketers are overwhelmed with a flood of data and it makes it really hard to kind of you know, see the forest for the trees, right? Like that signal to noise ratio is still uh, is way off. And so they kind of, in the B2B space, retrench themselves to just, okay, we have a central data repository that happens to be a CRM system. And then from that is a way to use use it in the most basic ways for executing campaigns over you know a limited number of channels, um, and and so it's it's been a real challenge. That gave rise to this role of marketing operations that frankly didn't really exist that much, uh, you know, more than twenty years ago, um, and now it's the primary point of space. It's where all companies are investing dollars today is marketing operations, the tooling data governance, integrations, building a model, building the tech stack, automating processes, trying to get to triggered uh, messaging versus, you know, kind of manually constructed campaigns of the past. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's, you know, to your point, the idea of taking all of these different tools that are available, trying to figure out which ones are right for you and your use case, uh, and then figuring out how to make use of them together, right? How do you integrate them? How do you take data from one and use it in another um, and make sure that company-wide you know has that you know you can tie that data back to your point back to to the financials right um, you know and that sorry i was just gonna say it transitions really well into our second topic bad data because you have data flowing everywhere right and so when we have all these tools you know how do we go so that we can actually have quality data when we set up these integrations so can you kick us off with this, Jim? Yeah, uh, the impact of bad data on marketing and sales. I mean, there's just so many examples. I'll give you a, a perfect example. In the last three years has seen just 
so many changes in the market, right? Like talk pandemic and we can talk uh, whatever we want to call it, whether it's a recession or a correction and supply chain issues and everything else, the move to work from home. Like just, it just, just, uh, you know, as an example, just as a new channel, a new old channel was coming online where you could start to use tools like Sendoso and, and, and send um, physical dimensional mailers to people and packages and surprise and delight your customers. Just as that started to grow popular, like, oh my gosh, direct mail is coming back again. Suddenly everyone leaves the office and goes and works from home and it gets really hard to find, figure out where people are, right? So mm-hmm. um, it, it, these, these uh, kind of waves of changes make, make it much more challenging. And just take that last, last example, um, we are in the middle of a pretty, pretty tough market, especially in, in, in uh, B2B tech. And, you know, where in the past you would think about 25 or 30 percent turnover of your marketing of, of your database. Now it's much, much higher. And over the course of my career, I, I have yet to see an organization that does a really, really good job of managing, uh, you know, turnover of their database. You know, someone leaves an organization and you become aware of that, you you know, you become aware of that technically through a bounce back mechanism, say, in your email, or you become aware because you got a really good account executive that's covering the account, realize someone's left the organization. How does that get represented in your systems, like in Salesforce and your marketing automation and all the other tools? It's all over the map. It's never really been solved well, you know, some. Some people are like, oh, I'm just going to click a box that says no longer at company and assume that that is going to cascade through, like I said, an increasingly integrated, uh, you know, go-to-market tech stack, which it is. Um, and so that's just one really simple example of uh, the negative impact of bad data, but but there's so, ma- so many more uh, examples of that. Um, communications with, say, customers are being orchestrated across so many tools out of those 11,000 MarTech apps. And I say MarTech loosely, many of them are sales enablement apps and content management apps. It's a, almost all of them bring the notion of tracking someone in some way, right? Like tracking how they consume content, tracking how they go through on their website. Uh, trying to reconcile all of those different signals into one data model that allows you to trigger the right message at the right time has not gotten easier. It's, been, it's become harder because of the explosion of these tools being used. A lot of them don't really talk to one another. And even if they do, you'd have to have a team of data scientists to figure out how to reconcile all of that within some platform that the rest of the organization can use. And I, I work in scale-up organizations. We just don't have teams of data scientists to do that work. So uh, it can be challenging. You can end up, um, you can end up making mistakes that make you make you look kind of dumb to your prospect and your customer, even if you have the best of intentions. Jim, I think you unintentionally just gave someone out there the idea of another <laughs> B2B marketing app, um, because <laughs> I feel like after this conversation, someone's going to build a plugin for Salesforce that goes and, and pulls down, you know, your new information out of LinkedIn. As soon as you change your, uh, your, your work status in LinkedIn, <laughs> because that's what's yeah. really actually needed, right? Something that would kind of interface Salesforce with LinkedIn so that you can actually see that journey happen uh, directly in your, your CRM. Yeah. Um, yep. Uh, so, and uh, without, without naming vendors or whatever at this point, like there, there are tools out there. There's actually some tools that'll 
follow your customers as they move from one, one organization to another. But, you know, the, uh, the challenge has been, okay, you get that data. How do you get it um, into a workable format that kind of, it works with the data model you're operating off of such that you can alert the salesperson at the right time, that you can reintroduce you to yourself, that person at the new organization, uh, take action on it, activate that data. Um, that still can, can be a challenge. Yeah, and, sure. and I think the, the last point I'll make here, just an, an example of a new source of data is this, you know, the rise of intent data. Mm, yeah. Super, super interesting, right? You wonder what, what happened to all those media companies? Well, they, they're companies that supply intent data. Now. <laughs> 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 the revenue model. Um, and there's platforms for managing, of course, like ABM platforms, like uh, Sixth Sense, grab that information for you and, and allow you to, you know, in real time score, score accounts based on where people in those accounts are, what are they doing on the web? What articles are they reading? What content are they consuming, et cetera. Um, but that, that intent data can come from so many different sources. And again, trying to figure out how I can reconcile, oh gosh, in my marketing automation system, someone in an account did X, Y, Z, right? And on my sales enablement platform, someone consumed a piece of content. And through outreach, which my SDRs use, we're getting response from yet another person to some kind And then we have this intent data, which comes to us, which we can't tell who it is, but someone might be interested in what we're doing based on their visit to uh, product review sites like G2 Crowd, et cetera. You know, you gotta, how, do you, how do you kind of mash that all up so you have this real, uh, what, what do they used to call it? The rise of CRM, 360-degree <laughs> customer. Like it's, yeah. it's getting harder, not easier. All in one tool. Yeah. yeah, getting harder. Yeah, it's great to that I know that someone from you know whoever Intel visited my my website. Fantastic, but you know <laughs> how many how many employees do they have? How many people do they have? And how am I going to find the person that that came to my website um, so that I can actually convince them to do something? Yeah. So you know, it's yeah. It, it, again, you're 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 taking this data and and how do you decide whether it's good or not? Right? I mean. It, it's only good if it adds value, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, define good or bad data. You know, you could say, oh, this is really great data. It's really interesting. I can tell you who's coming to your website. But if you can tell me who as a company, that's one thing. If you can tell me who as a person, it's a whole, whole different story. So, you know, you got you to gotta kind of sort of weigh what data is useful. So it's not good or bad. It's useful or not useful. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Much less attribute. Uh, some return to it, which is like a whole other, we talk about data, you know, we'll talk to the, uh, like, okay, well, how do you measure marketing and the effectiveness of marketing, right? That's the loaded question. Oh my gosh, there's so many ways to do that. And it's a cascading series of metrics that go from higher, higher order business value down to, uh, you know, channel effectiveness. And the, as, as those channels grow and grow and grow, it becomes much, much harder to try and put together that complexity of like, oh, well, the intent data we bought, we think was actually a really important indicator that was critical to, um, you know, an enterprise sales motion that occurs over many, many, many months across dozens of people, across many different channels, across a, a multitude of campaigns, some of which can be tracked and some cannot be tracked. And yet, Marketers are, are stuck, and more specifically, those marketing operations teams um, that have that have grown are stuck trying to figure out how can I answer the question of effectiveness or return by channel. Um, you know, it's and that problem I think is is getting harder because of changing preferences, right? Like it used to be easy to try and uh, well, 
I should say, easier to try and understand the effectiveness of a campaign or a channel when um, it was easy to track people's response on that channel. Uh, when it was easy to put up a form and have people register and declare themselves, oh, I have responded to this offer on this channel at this point in time associated with this campaign. But like, who who wants to do that anymore? We're, we're increasingly moving to a world where all content is ungated because you put no barriers to engagement in front of your prospects. And so while the mo world moves in that direction, that and that doesn't even count like the world towards like cookie-less world, right? <laughs> First party data world and all that. Uh, at, you know, while people are demanding of marketing, it's like, give me more and more and more analytics to understand the efficacy of all these channels and campaigns. It's actually getting harder uh, due to this change in consumer preferences in the world that we live in. So let's let's dig a little deeper on that, because, you, you know, we are talking about um, how do we measure the effectiveness of our marketing and the marketing operations that we're putting in place? And that sort of ties really well, I think, into our next topic, which is, is uh, you know, marrying the two, the marketing data and the finance data, right? Because I think that the ability to put those two together is how we measure the effectiveness, correct? Um, yes, especially at that most strategic level. And, and, and what I mean by that is the if the last in in b2b it's a lot of what i'm talking about is very specific to b2b if the if the last 15 years has been about oh we're going to marry marketing and sales right and we're going to we're going to marry these organizations around strict definitions and ownership of different stages of the buyer's journey and the way we do that is we're literally going to write a contract that defines what is a prospect? What is a lead? What's an engaged lead? What's a qualified lead? What's a sales acceptable? Like all these stages of kind of the, the marketing and sales uh, funnel uh, or inversely like the stages of the buyer journey, like that's gone through a revolution the last 15 years. Most B2B organizations, that is one of the first thing you do in marketing is make sure that between marketing and sales, there's a shared understanding of the process, the definitions, people speak the same language. And that is what I call like the kind of the first generation of justifying marketing and measuring marketing. How many units did I create at each of these stages with each of these labels? Most B2B organizations are doing that. Um, the taxonomy that has not been created, and this is the world that Uptempo lives in, is a higher order taxonomy that says, units are interesting, but investors give you dollars, right? Um, they, they give you a pile of money. That money is defined maybe by percentage of revenue, percentage of ARR, whatever it might be. You have a, you have a, a marketing budget. And uh, on a, at least a quarterly basis, investors want to know what the return on that investment is. Um, and none of the prior taxonomy, that kind of first revolution, none of that talks about dollars. It only talks about units. Most B2B marketers, have a hard time parsing out how much they spent on this channel versus that channel or this campaign versus this campaign or this program, versus this program. Um, in those dollars, uh, they're not, they're stored. If, if they do that, they're stored in systems that are completely disconnected from the performance systems, right? It's not like many marketers go into Salesforce and actually fill in that field on the campaigns and say, what is the dollar budgets allocated to this? Because it's like a fool's errand. You really can't like, it would take you forever to do that. It's not going to be accurate. Those dollar amounts change dynamically over the course of the year. Uh, and so 
when inevitably, like the CEO or the CFO or the board says, all right, show me the ROI on these major campaigns that you outlined at the beginning of the year are going to do, it's suddenly you're in a very uh, challenging situation. You spend a lot of time in spreadsheets talking with a lot of different people to try and reconcile the budget that we've been running off of against the performance data that came out of this MarTech stack and your sales stack. And it's um, a highly imperfect science. Jesse, you're on mute. There's a lot of limitations in performance data as well. And, you know, it's a lot, it's really easy. You know, you could say to take that attribution data that you get from HubSpot or Pardot and mm -hmm. um, just tie that to your budget and say, you know, here's the value of each channel that way. But really, you know, those people who say they came in organically, how did they, did they really come in through a Google search, which is typically assumed, mm -hmm. um, but you later learn like a lot of that attribution data isn't even accurate when you talk to the customer. Yeah. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm a bit, I'll come back to taxonomy, but I'm, you just bring it up. I'm a huge advocate and many sales people are going to shake their heads, but like I'm a huge advocate of having the sales development or business development organization report into marketing. And one of the reasons why is because you can consistently get the subjective feedback from the people that actually engage with you in opportunities. Like I run the sales development uh, team here and every time they set up a meeting that converts into an opportunity, they must ask that question. How did you hear about this? How'd you come to us? Like, how did this, how did this conversation happen? And what you get back from that subjective conversation very rarely matches up against your performance data and what's in the campaigns and Salesforce and your marketing automation system. You know, you'll get responses like, oh, well, uh, I got your email, but I was too busy. And then I saw you at a trade show and oh my gosh, then I saw a bunch of LinkedIn ads, but who clicks on those? No one clicks on LinkedIn ads, <laughs> but I did notice you there. And then you, you called me at the right time. So I engaged in a conversation. How can you possibly build an attribution model that's accurate around something like that? It's incredibly difficult. So, yeah. you know, it's like, it's directionally interesting, uh, but it isn't a science. Mm -hmm. And so in order to solve the financial side, right, when it's hard enough to just get the attribution side, um, we believe at Uptempo that a very different operating model is needed, that the tax, the next taxonomy needs to be built is uh, a taxonomy that ties your strategic objectives and your plans and your budget and your work management systems, your project management systems together, you know, through a taxonomy. So when you plan, oh, I have four major campaigns that are going on this year. Underneath those are program families and underneath those are discrete programs. And within those programs are tactics. Um, and you don't compare like a demand program against a reputation program and compare the ROI on those two things or the pipeline built on those two things because they're going to be different necessarily. You shouldn't measure those apples to oranges. That is, um, that's, that's the, 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 uh, what we work with with many of our very large enterprise customers that need to ladder up um, the results in their performance systems back to the plan and the dollars attached to the plan. I like that. I like that because there's a, there, it, it exposes the fact that there's a lot more than just an ad campaign that ties into that revenue that was generated. 
right? Mm-hmm. And there, there's everything that you just defined with, re- with respect to the marketing operations that are underneath that sort of sector of business yeah. that ties into, um, you know, the financial um, outcome. So, yeah, really. I mean, and, 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 and even more importantly, like just some of the it's it gets to solving even some of the most basic problems. Um, you know, I was talking about running your the business of marketing on spreadsheets. Um, so, so, so often we just hear these horror tales of, you know, people that underspent their budget by hundreds of thousands of dollars or overspent their budget by millions of dollars in large. We work with very large brands. And, you know, they don't even have visibility into what's left in the budget. And I think about the market we're in right now on the B2B side, we ran a survey that suggested 92% of marketers have already had their budget cut in 2023 calendar year, right? So you have fluctuating budgets and zero visibility into what's left in that budget because Mm. there's no real-time reconciliation uh, system. There's very... You know, very often there's no connection between a marketing budget and the financial systems that run the business. You have to establish that connection. Otherwise, no visibility means no agility. Yeah, you've got the the content team looking at one Excel spreadsheet, the advertisers yeah. looking at another Excel spreadsheet. They're all different budgets. Um, when you're a vendor, though, it's always fun to have one of your clients call you up in like the last week in December and be like, hey, I've, I've got a whole bunch of money <laughs> on my budget that I need to spend. <laughs> can we, uh, you know, can I send you a PO because uh, I only have a week to get to spend this money. Otherwise I won't get it next year. Yeah, <laughs> true. I've actually had that happen a couple of times. <laughs> it's nice when that happens. It's, uh, it's, 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 but it, it's rare because of the, most people don't have that. Like the reconciliation process that happens monthly at a large organization is the process that takes a considerable chunk of that month. <laughs> can we, the reconciliation process may yeah. take a week in a five week month. It's, it's just, it's just a crazy, um, uh, uh, circumstance. Well, we just implemented with a customer. And as soon as we implemented a tie-in between the financial system, the PO systems and the marketing budget, which is part of our system, they realized they had 300 K of unspent money immediately. Like this got that visibility, right? So, um, that, that it's a, it's a huge, anyway, that's the business we're in is trying to tie those things together, which means which allows you to have a greater deal of flexibility and agility around the campaigns you run. We call that, we have a methodology for, we call marketing business acceleration. It's, it's not an insignificant effort with a very large organization as you can matter, but uh, the benefits that they get accrued to marketing executives and operations are, are pretty significant. That sounds really interesting. Um, Well, you know, I would love to hear like more about that and like what you guys do when you go in there. But I know, you know, we only got 13 more minutes. And Mm -hmm. um, one thing we ask all of our guests, I want to make sure we ask you about too, is um, what are some of your favorite tools in your tech stack? It's funny, I was thinking about that. And um, I mean, I just, it would be just so self-referential to say that I actually use our own software and it me to be agile. So I definitely know how much is in my budget at any given time and how that connects to plans. But we'll move off of that. And uh, surprisingly, I think one of my favorite tools in my tech stack is not a MarTech application at all. It's Slack. Um, and th- the reason why is because uh, 
I, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that the future of marketing lies in community. And I actually think despite all of the money that's been invested in community platforms, that Slack is the best community platform on the market. It's uh, easy to use, easy to get started with. It provides uh, so many levers for engagement. So we have multiple community. I have customer communities on it. I have communities for marketing operations folks that are both our, that are prospects that we run. And then, our own internal organization runs off of Slack as well for collaboration, et cetera. And so the, using the same tool has become more critical to the function of, of marketing at, at uptempo than Outlook. You know, like it's just, it is. It's literally how we, how we run our organization. Um, and I belong to many, many, many uh, communities that are on Slack as well. So at any given time, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. There's an organization called CMO Coffee Talk. That I've is, heard of that one. Twenty five hundred uh, CMOS in that community, and it channels range from conversations about Martech and attribution to hiring to diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives to uh, the most popular channel of all, which is called Rants, and it's where just CMOS in yeah. there in the trust tree can just complain to one another about the world of you know the life of being a CMO. Um, That's the so second I, time I heard of that group this week. So yeah. they're really growing fast. Yeah, they, they've done a very good job with it. Um, and it's not, you know, the Slack, of course, is where the community lives, but then they, they do so much more. And we do this with our own community too. That we use Zoom for like spontaneous meetups or Slack huddles for spontaneous conversations among peers. But um, I, I, I don't learn as much from conferences and or nor as much from the latest business book. I learned by connecting with my peers to see what's working with them and what's not working with them. And, and, and that's why I think Slack is just a fantastic tool. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that because BDEX has our own um, Slack community. Maybe you'll like to join. It's a um, data community. We've just got it started. And if any of our listeners want to join, they can just, you know, send me or David a DM and we'll get you the link or um, it's always in our newsletter. So you can subscribe to the BDEX newsletter um, but yeah, we're, you know, just trying to keep up with AI and I love Slack. It, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, a chat room from the 1990s. Cause it's just like a free flow of all these people who are, come in and, and leave and share great knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's powerful, but, uh, you have to learn how to manage Slack or Slack will manage you. <laughs> it's true. If you get into too many. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, and, and just like you, we use Slack internally here. Um, you know, we're big proponents of that as well. And our, uh, our Slack group is called data tech, which covers nice. data and all of ad tech and MarTech. So, um, and there's, you know, subgroups in there, like Jesse was saying about AI, about identity, about, um, you know, ad tech in specific, MarTech in specific. So there's, uh, lots of different ways, uh, um, you know, we try to, to use it and it's still, it's a young community. We're still trying to, yeah. to grow up our user base, but, uh, uh, if anyone out there is listening and they would like to uh, get in on the conversation, then just uh, DM us and we'll send you the link. Yeah. Look at that. Like, you asked me a question, I queue you guys up on a project. <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks for that, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Well, um, you know, some of the questions that we like to get into toward the end of the show kind of, you know, go back into your past and help us learn from your experience. And so we're curious, Jim, if you could go back to when you first got into marketing, you know, what is the number one piece of advice that you would give yourself? 
Um, it's the same advice that I give to team members when they join. Um, well, two things. One is uh, be curious, right? Like I, I highly value curiosity among people I recruit to the team. I think it's the key to being successful, certainly in marketing, but just generally in your career, ask a lot of questions. You learn always by asking much more than by talking. So uh, that's a, that's a key one. And the, and the second thing is kind of related is, you know, go horizontal. You know what I mean? Like learn as, learn as many functions as you can. Uh, don't, don't focus on specializing, becoming the best at any one thing. That's just not what's valued, particularly at, at a young point in your career, right? You're, everyone's looking for uh, what they call those T-shaped marketers, but I don't think it was T-shaped marketers. It's just, I, I want people that actually can understand how the thing that they're doing is relates in context to what, uh, their neighbors are doing other functions around them and not just within marketing, but outside of marketing. I think it's incredibly important to, to kind of gather that experience. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That is great advice. And, you know, kind of going off that, are there any lessons you've learned along the way from, you know, some of your other past marketing jobs or the current one at Uptempo that you think everyone should know? I think the current one at Uptempo uh, really it drove this home, but I've always kind of realized it. Look, I'm, you know, I was a liberal arts major in college. Uh, I never took business class, certainly didn't get an MBA. And I, and I, I regretted that so many times over the course of my career. Um, if, if you want to, you know, advance your career and become more strategic and move into an executive spot, you actually have to understand how business works, which is, uh, it's more than just being able to read a balance sheet or an income statement. It's actually understanding how finance works in organizations. Now, of course, at Uptempo, we're totally focused on the relationship between finance and marketing, et cetera. But just in generally in your career, you know, the next job you go to uh, in order to understand, in order to negotiate like your comp package, especially when you move into a place where, you know, there, there might be an equity portion for you. You got to understand how the business fundamentally operates. Is it profitable? What is the path to profitability? What's the rule of 40? What's the CAC to LTV ratio? Understanding those things are really, really important as well as just the mechanics of how finance works in a tech company. Yeah. And, you know, it's important to think about finance too, because it really is a big part of marketing. I think a lot of time marketers just get so, in the niche of, you know, whatever tactic they're working on um, mm -hmm. that they forget the most important part, that it is a financial institution at the end of the day. Right. Um, but no, that's really great. And, you know, we have six more minutes. So are there any more last like secrets, tips and tricks that you can share to sort of help prepare marketers for the future? Um, yeah, I mean, I we've already covered on some of this, but uh, build a peer network quickly. Build, you know, I, everyone everyone knows that the, the importance of community and relationships, peer relationships. But I think it's more important today than it's ever been in the past. Um, it, it's not just like who you know, but it's what do you learn from the people you know. Uh, I ask everyone on my team to be bringing constantly ideas from the outside and lessons learned from the outside from people that are in their roles, because I think it's critically important. Things change really, really fast in this market. Um, and, uh, to stay on top of that, it's just, it's hard to stay on top of that by, you know, looking at your feed every day. A lot of it has to do with good old fashioned, uh, peer to peer conversations and interactions. So, uh, build that network and stay on top of that network and join peer communities, um, whenever, whenever the opportunity arises. Yeah. yeah. 
That's a great point. I've said that here on, on the show before um, that a, a friend of mine, um, really close friend of mine once said that uh, your net worth is measured by your network. Yeah. And I think that that's, uh, that's becoming more and more true for sure. Yes. I couldn't agree more. Um, well, thank you for sharing all of that and, you know, for joining us, Jim. Um, and, you know, where, where can our audience find you? Uh, LinkedIn is the best place to find me. Uh, Jim Williams with Uptempo. Uh, I think it's Jim C. Williams or whatever on LinkedIn. It's not, it's not the most uncommon name in the world. But uh, if you look for Jim Williams at Uptempo, you'll certainly, uh, certainly find me. And that's, that's the best, best way to keep in touch and build that network. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, again, awesome. thank you. Yeah, go ahead, David. Yeah, I was just going to say, Jim, it's been great. Uh, I really appreciate you joining us on the show today. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, the information you shared is, uh, has been super valuable for our listeners and uh, I appreciate that and uh, wish you all the best. And uh, thanks again. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I had a great time. Good conversation. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much. And we would love to hear from our listeners. And if you, Jim, or anyone else listening knows of anyone who should be interviewed and on the Deconstructing Data podcast and broadcast, we'd love to have them on. So send us their name at info at and send us your qualitative data. Let us know what you think of the show because we want to make it better for you. Um, but thanks again for joining. And um, until next week, we will close this out.